Mr. Shabali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Ahoy, hoy. Uh, this is Mishka Shabali, your erstwhile host of the Mishka Shabali podcast. God, I hate saying my name, my big dumb name. Um, such a good episode today. The I've been having like really sort of high caliber conversations with people lately that have been leaving me exhausted and thinking about the stuff that we've talked about for the rest of the week. Um, I just uh, recorded conversations with Josh Mallerman, uh, one of the... I want to say one. Of the, I want to say the front man for the high strung, but they're all the front men for the high strung. Uh, every single one of them, and uh, you may know him as the author of Bird Box and Mallory and a, a stack of other horror novels. Um, really great in depth conversation with him. Uh, also recorded a conversation with Andy Falcus of uh, Future of the Left, McCluskey, Christian Fitness. It guy has made an incredible amount of records. And they're all surprisingly high quality, uh, something which I, uh, a complaint that I brought to his doorstep on the podcast. Um, we had a surprisingly earnest, uplifting, even joyful conversation about making music. Um, he's such a an insightful and acerbic lyricist that I always expect him to be a little more uh, judgmental. I don't know. I, Andy, I am disappointed by what uh, lack of a prick you were. The conversation today is with Keith Buckley, who uh, you may know as the author of uh, two novels, Scale and Watch. Uh, he also used to sing from a band out of Buffalo called Every Time I Die. The I met Keith a couple years ago, five years ago, seven, I'm not sure. The, we, we met at a reading in Buffalo and did that thing that uh, band guys do of sort of uh, warily circling each other that evening and not really connecting about anything, you know, making sort of jokes here and there. Um, but not really going all in. Um, a lot of my guests, I, as as soon as I met them, we were like uh, puppies sniffing each other's butts. You know the. Um, but it took a minute with Keith for us to warm up to each other. Uh, probably twenty four hours. I don't know. The we did a reading together in Buffalo, um, and then the next day I just got this this beautiful, incredibly passionate email from him about how my book had appeared in his life at the time that he needed it. Um, you know, he had stayed up all night reading it and how much it touched him and how much it meant to him. And it was, uh, so disarming for me to have the singer in a legendary hardcore band, um, just communicate that openly and that guilelessly about, his thoughts and his feelings and to, um, to just express open admiration for, uh, for any, any other person's work. Um, when I was playing music in Brooklyn, everybody was so prickly and that sucks. It's dumb. Um, but Keith and I got to be really good buddies and he's, he's been through some shit lately and I'm grateful for it because it pushed me to reach out again. And we had this conversation that has just been sort of rattling around in my brain since we had it. I think there's a lot, um, a lot happening there with 
self-knowledge and forgiveness and trying to trying to earnestly figure shit out in your life without resorting to uh, pat Instagram inspirational sentiments and whatnot. But um, I'm really proud of this one. I, I think it's one of my best podcasts to date. So uh, here's Keith Buckley. Enjoy. I, I feel like dog shit this morning, actually. How uh, how are you doing? Hi. Uh, well, let's get why. I mean, I'm OK. I don't feel like dog shit, I guess. But let's let's figure your situation out first. What's up? I, I, I'm just tired. I just haven't woken up. The I got yeah. up at 515 and went and ran and worked out and never, uh, never got to the point where it feels good. Just yeah. The just like underwater suffering the whole time. The, why do you um, do that to yourself? I don't I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, I, I, I tell myself that I uh, hate running less than I fear dying. But okay. um, the but the when you get deep into the run, you fear dying less and less. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. Like, I, I can't even. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know anybody other than you that that runs marathons. I, it's hard for me to sort of co-op the mindset. I, I can't imagine what it's like to have that much determination. I just, it's like an unfathomable amount of human will. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's funny because the, in, you know, in the, whatever the endurance circle mm. or that scene or whatever, I'm like a fucking short timer, you know, really? that, um, yeah. Cause I, um, I, I think, I think I only did one marathon last year and people will go out and do like a marathon a day for a hundred days and like, yeah. just, um, just absolutely like bonkers shit like that. And it's the, it, it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it is really weird to me cause I can't, you know, usually when I do a marathon, I'm like, okay, that's enough. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm done. I'm ready to be, mm-hmm. you know, finished. I can't imagine the, but I mean, the day after a race, I always am like, ah, I could have done more or really? like, you know, I, ah, I was still running at the end, you know? And then the, I, I mean, I'm sure you've had this thing at the, at the end of a tour where it's, um, it's long and it's grueling and it's awful and it's exhausted. And then you get home mm-hmm. and then the next day around sound check, you're like, mm-hmm. what, well, what, what do I do now? You know? Yeah. It's really rough that the transition from, from tour to home and back again was, uh, it, you know, you'd think that after 20 or so years, it would become sort of an art form with a very specific, uh, order of steps, you know, to transition. But, um, I, I never, ever got used to it. It's just this sense of purposelessness that really, really starts to, um, inform a lot of your decisions. You know, it's not even whether or not you feel comfortable where you are. It's just, you know, that you haven't been there for long and you're definitely not going to be there for much longer. So, you know, what do you get attached to? What do you value? I mean, I, I always feel like in the last days of two, my body was really, really good at staving off a lot of the intense reactions and then just sort of backloading them, you know, like, when right. I would get home and finally my mind would enter into relaxation mode, then my body would, would relax and then it would go, Oh my God, everything's broken. You know, like yeah. only then do I realize how much damage I had done. Yeah. I, I remember like, you know, when I was sort of like really going hard um, when I was living in New York and the, just like waking up in the band's practice space. Cause I got too fucked up to walk home and shit like that. Oh, man. And the, um, 
there were times where like my mother would call and I wouldn't pick up because I was sort of barely holding it together. But I knew that if, um, if I got sympathy from my mother, that I would just crumble, you know? Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. I just said, no one's ever said that to me before. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that's it. That's the whole thing, you know, is that, and, and I mean, maybe that is part of why we're so hard on, um, each other on the road is, uh-huh. you know, because I think the, um, you know, sometimes to, I remember doing, you know, a gig, I feel like I've told this story before, but a gig in long beach and at, at the end of the, um, at the end of the show, the, you know, the bartender paid us and we were sort of on our way out and she like looked at me and she was like, do you need a hug? And uh, I was like, yeah. And like uh-huh. she gave me a hug and then she looked at like the other guys and then she was like, all right, next, you yeah. know, and like, just, <laughs> she was just, and like, what it's, a, what a fucking angel, you know, of the, course, of course it's, it, it's always, um, well, it's always, a woman that will usually recognize that in a man, you know? Um, But yeah, it's just something you take for granted and and you don't think you need it. But I think um, people like you and I who understand that the weight of actual human connection after being disconnected for so long will just destroy the dam that you've built up, you know? So it's like, I don't want to let anybody get close because like, there's a lot of shit that I'm repressing here that just any sort of sympathy will really elicit so much oversharing that I don't want to do that to you. So just don't come near me right now. You know, the, um, well, Keith, that's why I'm here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just had to learn how to channel it. You know, it was, it got to the point where I was thinking that, okay, I can't do that to any other human being. Like, I don't want to do that. It's, it's, I've been repressing too much stuff for too long. Anybody that shows me the littlest kindness now is really going to be in for a therapy session. So it's like, I, I don't do that, but that meant I never did it. And instead of just putting it in the right channels and talking to someone that I actually trusted, you know, I just didn't talk at all. Yeah. I, um, I feel like we've all had that experience of you're on the bus and you see somebody who's like struggling and you're like, Hey man, how you doing? You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to spark up a conversation and you know, the, and then they tell you yeah, and you wish you hadn't asked and you're like, right. Oh, f- holy shit, man. Uh-huh. And then, you know, and then flash forward five, 10, 20 years. And then you become that person on the bus. Yeah. You right. Know, the, the- I think the problem um, with that um, that whole situation, the whole environment around really talking to strangers like that is um, that, you know, usually when they tell you, you are you're like, oh, my God, that's so heavy. It's so depressing. I can't think of anything else other than this guy. But then, you you know, if you really, really, really think about it, that was probably a moment where a lot could have been learned had it not been judged by how much weight there was to it. Do you know what I mean? Instead of, uh, instead of getting to the actual like meat of the interaction, everyone is just so quick to be like, Ooh, too heavy, too heavy, too heavy, or, you know, uh, total, I don't need to know what you're telling me. Yeah. The it's weird. I'm, I'm trying to sort of, gather this whole thing together of, of like the experience we have of, you know, having gone through COVID um, together and separately. Mm-hmm. And the, 
And one of the things that I think has played out again and again um, in my life and in a lot of our lives is um, how to how to tell someone bad news, how to hear bad news from somebody, how to express empathy and how like and how not to say the wrong thing. You know, the um, I I would always get this you know, the, my cat would die and Mm -hmm. the, and somebody would be like, oh, she's in a better place now. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, go fuck yourself. She was in a good place already. She was here here with me. We were happy. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what heaven is. It's the the same kind of place. (laughs) Exactly. The, and, um, the, I, I found that the, and I like to think that I'm a smart dude with, something to say you know with who's capable of listening and and hearing and responding Mm -hmm. to things that people say you know the and having heard so much bad news and having had to share so much bad news with people and then get fucking weird horrible like oh silver lining responses Mm -hmm. i feel like the the best smartest thing you can say to somebody is just like that fucking sucks and i'm sorry yes you know to um, to acknowledge that um, it's big and it's horrible, but also not to be like, whoa, I, man, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. You know, <laughs> Right, right. Um, yeah, you said this on the phone to me the other day, and I actually almost just quoted you to yourself. I was like, <laughs> I was talking to my friend the other day. He said something that really stuck with me. <laughs> um, no, when you said like the worst thing you can say is nothing. And that absolutely is yeah. because if you you don't have to unload any grief off of anyone else you don't have to come up with a solution but like you said acknowledging it makes people feel less alone and that sometimes that's all they need you know and it's not that this person is understanding my suffering by any means but i'm not crazy because other people agree that it's bad you know what i mean at least other people can see it too and i'm not the only one walking around being like should I even be upset about this? And then if so, to what degree? You know, there's a lot of decision making in like what is even worth suffering for? Or, you know, is there, a, is there some suffering that has a point? Is there some that doesn't? You know, maybe we don't even have to get into those downward spirals of self-talk if someone were just to say, hey, I noticed you're going through some shit. I understand. That sucks. You know, let me know if you need anything. Yeah. Yeah. It. It's weird. The um, maybe I mean maybe this is maybe this says a lot about who I am as a person. But it, there's there's almost no better feeling to me than to suffer with somebody I love. The mm-hmm. that that feeling of connection, mm-hmm. like the um, last weekend, I just went out to L.A. for Lanigan's funeral. And yes. I, um, I already sort of half told this story, but I need to tell it to you. Because mm-hmm. the, um, there's a lot there that I think, you know, I want to talk about. Yeah. The, um, I felt weird going there, you know, that I wasn't as cool as some of his other friends and, you know, people, other people in the music industry with much higher profiles and stuff, people who have mm-hmm. known him for 30 years, you know, the, and, um, and I, f- I felt weird too, that my grief about losing him has been awkward or gauche or that I haven't grieved correctly or, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, because when something, um, hurts me, I, I'm 
very loud about it for a short period of time. And then mm -hmm. I'm able to move on, you know, mm -hmm. and the, so went to the funeral and the, and immediately I felt better about not wearing a suit because everybody mm -hmm. there was just fucking dirt bags and black jeans. And I was like, I don't even have the most amount of cat hair on me, you know, the, um, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we went into the chapel and like, I, I didn't really know where to sit. And, um, you know, a couple of friends, you know, sat on my left side and then a guy came and sat down on my right side. And mm -hmm. the, the guy who sat down on my right side was slash. Wow. And wow. the guns and roses were like my gateway drug into this whole dirty business. Wow, of yeah. Rock and roll, you know, and the, and I, I've honestly been waiting for 35 years to tell him like, you know, bro those mm -hmm. fucking tasty licks you know you <laughs> like, had your, just, there, and now's your chance yeah that, <laughs> right i and, see you at a funeral <laughs> yeah exactly and and, and, and and you know i i mentioned something about him people were like oh you, you know i know you got a selfie with him and i'm like no i fucking didn't yeah man. like we were there you know, yeah we were, we were there to like bury one of my heroes exactly you know? the, but there was um the you know, people got up and told stories about Mark, talked about mm -hmm. what, a sh what a terrible guitar player he was, which was true, <laughs> uh -huh. and talked about, you know, some the the beautiful things about him. And uh -huh. also the more than one person mentioned, like, uh, what a prick he could be. Right. And the at one point, um, Slash and I laughed at the same time, uh -huh. at the same, you know, line. And it was it was such a good feeling to the you know we were we were both there to to honor our friend and to mm -hmm. you know and to remember him and mm -hmm. uh and i've been in such pain about it you know to the to have um you know slash laugh at the same time that i did you know at i just thought we were in it together right you know and then later when they were you know putting his ashes in the vault the i started crying and i look look and i felt self-conscious about it and i looked over and i saw somebody else crying and then mm -hmm. i was i was okay i was mm -hmm. like fuck it let him see me cry of course you know? absolutely uh, and and i i suspect you've had this too you know with the um you uh you have a low opinion of yourself and the work mm -hmm. that you do and i did it's getting better the, it's getting the, better um and you've probably felt surprise when people told you um oh your music really helped me get through a, a hard year mm -hmm. it, it took me a long time to figure out that because you know the, the we don't write particularly uplifting inspirational no no, <laughs> the, no but you know but what they were saying was that um uh, you were lonely or you were angry or you were grieving mm -hmm. or you were lost mm -hmm. and you expressed it in a way that made sense to me and that spoke to me feeling those same negative feelings too. And yeah. Then I, and then I knew that I wasn't alone. Right. Right. And that's the, like the most powerful shit, man. It really is. It, I, it, it is something that uh, I, I can only marvel at. I, I can't understand it. I've been trying to. Um, I don't know what it is about me or the way that I express it that connects with certain people in such a singular specific way. Um, but I am just, I'm just thankful for it. I mean, I, 
I really, you know, since, since the band ended and, and even, you know, for the last few years, I've been trying to understand what it is. Like, what is it about this breed of, of negativity or what is it about this species of self-loathing that other people connect to? And I, I don't know if this is true, but I have a theory that the reason people kept connecting to the negative in the lyrics was because it was offset and often sort of um, uh, relieved by the humor aspect of it, you know? And actually, I think that the story you told just kind of proves the point in that you and Slash connected over the laughter in the sorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was It was not just the sorrow. It was the laughter that was present in the sorrow. That's where the connection was. So I really feel like maybe it was because all the negativity while I still definitely like dug deep as far as I could and wasn't afraid to be vulnerable about it. I I did make sure to provide some levity with humor, you know, in any way that I could. Um, And because humor is so specific, that maybe it wasn't the negativity that people were connecting with. Maybe it was my sense of humor about all the negativity. You know, and I, I just wonder if that's maybe at the core of more relationships than we know. The, well, I mean, the, the band also presented um, uh, struggle in such yeah. a great way. You know, the there was a great documentary that actually Lanigan turned me on to, and I think it's called uh, The Struggle uh, mm-hmm. and not My Struggle, but or it's, maybe <laughs> it's just called Struggle. But it's it was about a uh, a Polish sculptor uh-huh. and the um, the sculpture that it references. Um, is i believe it's a uh a hand with mm. the thumb facing down the other four fingers you know and if you think about it the our thumb is yeah. responsible for human evolution i mean the yeah. thumb is what made us able you know but the thumb is opposing the other um the other fingers and the interesting one of the things that i loved about every time i die is that the um you know, the lyrics were often about um, sort of wry um, hopelessness or frustration or um, darkness or nihilism. But then the contrasted with the band, mm-hmm. it, y'all were not a goth rock band. It was definitely, <laughs> you know, the sonically uh-huh. very much an assertion of life. Yeah. You know, the Yeah. It was it was a live thing, you know, absolutely thrashing around and, and full of life. And I think that the you know the contrast between those two is one of the things that was really yeah i I, thank you thank you i i i feel like that was essential was you know and even the name of the band sort of you know implies a a cyclical nature um you know so the life and death sort of you know i mean that's essentially at the source of everything is you know what we think about one or the other so I mean, to just kind of have them in such vivid, stark contrast right in front of your eyes that it's like, you know, the, the mood is, is solemn and the music is loud and irritating and the, the air is like weird, but it's alive, you know, it's, it's the essence of it. Yeah, yeah. The, um, <laughs> I always felt like there was a joke in there somewhere about like a CPAP machine. Cause yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Like, we were getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Almost the, a few more years. <laughs> I, um, 
one of the things that I always got when I was younger, um, you know, when I was still fucked up and then also a lot when I was in early sobriety is people would ask me like how I was, mm-hmm. and then they would say, no, man, really, how are you? And uh. it's that fucked up thing that i want to saddle you with now <laughs> the, the last couple of months you've been through the fucking ringer man the um can i ask how you got sober what um precipitated you getting sober um and i don't know how are you doing these days i i sw- i promise you i swear i am doing i'm great i honestly Every day I feel a little bit better about something that I used to feel really bad about. I just, the sobriety has just cleared so many things up for me. Um, I used to, um, I think one of the biggest fears I had about trying to always go sober before and the reason it never really stuck was because my network of friends and, and relatives it just didn't work. I would just have to replace them all. I, I re- there yeah. was literally no one in my life that didn't drink. I mean, you know, it was a culture of alcoholism in Buffalo, especially, you know, in, in a, my family. Um, and I was just like, okay, no, that's, that's obviously not the right way to go about living. Like, I can't just be like, I don't want to drink anymore. And then never talk to all these people that I love. Um, and I kept trying to find a balance and it never, ever worked. And then in the pandemic, I was like, okay, you know what? I actually can do it now and not have to worry about the network because I'm not going to be out in public so I can really get sober. And I was like, let's go. And, I, and then I was like, oh my God, I'm an alcoholic. Like I couldn't, I, I couldn't stop. I was uh-huh. like, I, I couldn't get sober if I wanted to. So, uh, you know, I, I really had to um, you know, like I said, just have a, have a come to God moment and be like, I have nothing to do, but surrender. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with my life. Like I am miserable in every way, shape and form. And my dog that energy to grow. Like I'm just emanating negativity all the time. This is terrible. Something's got to change. And, uh, yeah, through a very, you know, I consider a miraculous series of events. I was, I was let out of, uh, uh, of my former marriage, I'll say that. And uh, now I am uh, happily remarried and the relationship with my daughter is amazing. And I know that it looks like I've gone through the ringer to um, people that never really understood my relationship within the band and within my other relationships. But if, but to the people that know me, this is the it looks like the growth that it is because they uh-huh. can see what I went through and they know from talking to me in the past and the present, um, they know that this was kind of inevitable and something that needed to happen for any sort of, you know, still waters to start flowing again. I honestly, I just, I, I feel good. Like I feel creative. What, one of the things that like, we never hung out in person that much, but one of the things that I, I felt um, in the past hanging out with you was that here was a man who was under tremendous pressure Mm -hmm. and the, I feel like a lot of that pressure came from you to, Mm -hmm. to be the good son, to be the good father, to be the good husband, to be the good bandmate and to, Mm -hmm. to try to, to be everything to everyone and to, um, and that's, I mean, one of the things that I definitely perceive now, um, you know, talking to you the other night and talking to you now is that, 
I feel like a, there's a lot less pressure there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I feel like I, I realized that about myself. I realized that I, I demanded such perfection of myself in every avenue of my life um, that I didn't have a personality left. You know, I was just trying to be perfect and trying to be perfect and trying to be perfect, but not being anyone or anything, you know, mm -hmm. um, just the perfect thing that was required at that time. Um, I, I think that comes from the fact that I, I am naturally a submissive person. So, you know, in trying to help people, especially growing up with a disabled sister, I was, you know, I was the oldest child and they, our, my youngest sister was disabled. So I was always helping or, you know, trying to. Um, and that eventually, you know, with alcohol and, and a mix of just not having the right influences in my life, just I, I, I started trying to impress the wrong people. And I, I started serving and trying to please the wrong people. And I just did it for so long that it became normal. But I kind of realized during the pandemic when no one was around, like, okay, I, I want to be a good father in whose eyes? Like, who am I trying to look good to? Because I don't believe in God. So like, what, what is all this? Who am I, who am I trying to impress? So I realized that I was only trying to impress the people that were never going to allow me the chance to grow anyway. You know, they, it was their low opinion of me that kept me trying to please them. And they knew that. And that became a very manipulative angle in a lot of my relationships. Um, but once I, I realized that the people I was trying to impress didn't really like, even like me. They were looking for reasons to be mad at me. You know, I just wanted to make sure I never gave them a reason. Um, and that was a lot of pressure, you know, and you saw, but without that pressure and a true understanding of what I uh, am living for and who I'm living for, it's, it's much different. It, it just kind of, the situations I find myself in have changed completely. It almost seems, you know, it's not paranoia, it's pronoia. Like, I feel like the universe is working in my favor now. It's so completely different. It's, um, I, you know, I, I always sort of imagine myself to be a person who goes his own way and does his own thing. And, you know, the, um, I, I know how to start a fire. I look mm -hmm. good in a flannel shirt, you know, the mm -hmm. rugged individual and the, my therapist pointed out to me last year that I'm, I'm a people pleaser. And I was yeah. like, you know, get the fuck out. And then <laughs> once I started being, being able to see it, then I could see it everywhere. And the, I mean, Jesus, you know, if you're a performer up on stage, like we're, we're professional people pleasers, you know, mm -hmm. the, and, and you can take it to, you know, of like the, you know, you gotta be cool with the drummer and you gotta be cool with, you know, with security yeah. because we want to play here again. And we gotta be cool with the promoter. And like, you know, obviously fans pay money to come out and see us fucking do our thing. You know, we got to mm -hmm. deliver for them. And then it, it, um, it's easy to turn yourself into just an equation Yes. The, um, that, you know, somebody put something in and you spit something out. And I even, I found myself like when I was doing shows, um, when people would come up to me after the show, I, I, the first thing that I would ask them is, you know, Oh, you know, how do you, how do you know about me or whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, to find out if they knew about me through 
Rich Roll, who's, you know, a uh, uh, vegan, you know, health conscious, mm-hmm. um, endurance athlete, uh, sober, um, or Stanhope, you know, the, um, you know, the iconoclast, mm-hmm. um, you know, drunken comedian. Yeah. So because then if I knew how they knew me, then I would know what, how to please them, what to give them, which person to be. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know? And mm-hmm. the, um, I wonder if you had a similar experience of the trying to be all things to all people. I did very much. Um, and uh, it took me asking the question that, that you did, which was what, um, what angle are you coming at me from? <laughs> like, honestly, that's really yeah. it. Like, where are you coming from? Do you believe in me? Or do you want to just have front row at my failures? Like, I, I, you know, I really had to separate those things and, and understand what was motivating the people in my life, you know? And there was only one way to truly understand, and that was to ask them to their face, you know? I mean, yeah. and, and I had to do that. I had to. Be- and even if I got one answer, that you know, depending on how much I knew that person, I could begin to then apply that filter and realize, oh, okay, well, that, you know, that makes sense because of these behavioral patterns that I've noticed that are very damaging to me that I keep sort of attracting, you know, and it it was, it was like just maintenance and damage control. And, you know, as you and I, as people pleasers, probably um, of a uh, an elite degree, I'll say, <laughs> I think more than others. Um, you know, it's hard to be in a, a group of people with uh, th- who are not people pleasers. And not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that if they're not, that, and I am, think of how much I, I have to compensate for, you know? Yeah. And that's not fair to them because it's not necessarily that they're asking me to do it, but I feel it incumbent upon myself as a people pleaser, you know? So it starts guiding me in all these directions that are just very uh, antithetical and I'll say disharmonious with the things I would do naturally. And I never even understood what what I would do naturally. I never even knew myself, you know, before I'm trying to give everything to other people. But what is everything? Like I'm offering them pretty much nothing more than some time and a, a body that can lift something, you know, um, that could, ju- I just realized that that needs to be devoted to people who love you and care about you and, and want to watch you, you know, believe that you can help yourself at least. The um, one of the things I keep thinking about is, you know, when, um, you know, when all you have is a hammer, you see everything as a nail. Yeah. And the, yes. in, the inverse is true when you're a people pleaser is that the, um, you know, I mean, I remember being like, you know, how do I make this cop like me? And then like, yeah, who, who, who fucking cares? You know, the, right. And who every, fucking cares? <laughs> yes. yes. Every, every time I, um, I just did a podcast with my friend Louisa and, and she's great and she's not a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you know, if somebody doesn't agree with my, um, my opinion, that's the, and that hurts their feelings. That's their problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I, I'm just expressing an opinion. It's not an attack. And, you know, if, if it hurts their feelings, that's fine. I can live yeah. with that, you know, and for, yeah. to, I, 
I get stuttering uh, apoplectic. Uh, What? Like, you just hurt people's feelings? You know, the... Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. The... Yeah. So it's it's pre-guilt. You have guilt just built in. Yes. And I I understand. Okay. So what your friend is say, see. Okay. I'm gonna just just gonna do a thought experiment. So if I were when I was you in situations like that, I would see someone like that and assume they were inconsiderate because they weren't um, accounting for every single element in the room before making a decision like I did. And I thought that the way that I did it was the right way. And I was like, how, like you, how can you just hurt people's feelings and not care? But the answer to that question is one, who the fuck says you're going to hurt somebody's feelings? That's not automatic. Like you actually might be able to make more friends that way. And two, the it's, you know, it's the whole sort of, um, it's not what it's not uh, the action it's the reaction. Like if someone, if you're telling your truth and you're being yourself and you're expressing your honest opinion and someone is offended, that's on them. That's there because smart, intelligent, curious people don't get offended. They just don't, they know how to handle that interaction. Yeah. So yeah. if the person is getting offended, they're not anyone who's going to listen to you anyways. So don't waste your time. Well, hi. Hello there. Um, My name is Cheeto. I am an adorable little uh, three-legged puppy. And as you all know, uh, little adorable little three-legged orphan puppies all care about quality podcasts. And uh, I want you all to know that I subscribe to the the Patreon for the Mishka Shivali podcast. And you should too. It's the only thing I like more than kibble nom nom um so please head on over to uh, patreon.com slash mishka shibali sign up there's all kinds of good uh crap there there's uh writing advice and tips there's published unpublished stories there's a bunch of demos um a bunch of sort of loose dispatches from my life i mean his life and uh i don't know just really good stuff that uh adorable the three-legged orphan puppies named Cheeto really love, and you will too. So uh, patreon.com slash Mishka Shibali. All the proceeds will go to uh, puppy food for orphans or other things. Okay, thank you. Yeah, the... It's so tricky though, man. The... My... um my girlfriend is a people pleaser too. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we spent the weekend together and I, I was trying to do things to, to make her happy and make sure that she had a magical weekend. Cause that's right. what, you know, what I do and what we do the, and, but, um, and then I, I, I didn't, or I couldn't get the validation mm-hmm. from her that I wanted that, like, you're a good boy, you know, yeah. the, here's a gold star for yeah. a perfect weekend because um because she's a people pleaser too and so for me to try to do all these things for her made her deeply uncomfortable yeah yes i can see that it's i mean you guys are both submissive personalities then you know yeah and i think that you're gonna need something to balance i think that's i mean i'm 
you and I are very, are, are just kindred spirits. I'll just say that. Like you and I, I just it's feel weird. We look right? at the world in the same way. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely. But it's I, our view of everything is very much aligned. I mean, maybe like a little degree off here and there, but I feel like so. I when I tr when I hear what you're saying, I try to put myself in the situation and then see if anything <laughs> comes out of it. But not that I want to try to please your girlfriend. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just think that like, okay, so if, if, if it's two people pleasers, there has to be, that means there has to be double the amount of dominance to our submission sort of thing. Like we need to figure out what can compensate for those dominant submissive personalities because that needing validation is a very submissive thing and giving validation is a very dominant thing. And Sometimes people really want to be dominant, but they don't want to seem aggressive or violent or, you know, yeah, but yeah. it's, it's really, it's very, um, particular to the, uh, relationship and like the sort of unspoken contract or spoken contract that you have with your partner, you know? Um, but I don't know, I would, I would honestly, if I would talk to her about that, like, just be like, are you a more submissive person? Or are you a dominant person? Like in your life? And I'm not talking yeah. about sexuality, like lifestyle dominant yeah. or lifestyle submissive, because but, it's just I mean, people missing that balance. What, um, what I think, you know, I think finally made it sort of make sense for me was mm -hmm. I tried to think how I would feel if somebody went out of their way to make sure that I had a perfect weekend Yeah, and it would cause me, mountains of anxiety and yeah. i can see you squirming oh too my gosh, you know, I, know, like, I know for some, somebody to do a nice thing for you you're like ah yeah <laughs> you know what because i see this like mental scenario of like you like you or i like in a situation that makes us uncomfortable and we start second guessing and then there's just like this door next to us that says like you know pit of hypotheticals and we're like all right here we go you know and it's like yeah. no 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 don't the hypotheticals shouldn't matter like how are you know in this very situation you know i and then you end up spending so much time thinking about it that by the time you figure out what you want to do it's way too late so you know. yeah the <laughs> endless projections yeah yeah the um there's this uh there's this great cartoon by jim woodring and it's a um uh a naked man standing in front of two doors and one says better and better. And the other says worse and worse. And then in the second panel, he walks through the door that says worse and worse. And I was just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally feel that. Um, yeah. That's what we identify with. Yeah. The, I was talking to my friend, uh, Ed on the run this morning, the, um, kind of a cool anniversary for us. He and I, um, his father has been unwell and he and I started running and I've been, unwell i've been sick in the fucking head and we started running together around this time last year and mm. the and it's been a year for us and the we've run twice or three times just about every week mm -hmm. uh, for a year and it's um it's awesome but uh, one of the great. things we were talking about is you know the ed said you know there's there's only one person in your life who's around for all of it for the entire thing you know and that's you and i said maybe it's time to like make friends with that person. Yeah, it really is, man. It really yeah. is. You know, cause I, I think when you're an addict or an alcoholic, the you it's, you spend your whole day, like 51, 49, you know, where 51% of you is trying to prevent the other 49% from taking fucking taking you down. 
yeah. you know, and undoing like all the hard work that you've done. And, um, right. yeah, it gets, you know, it gets absolutely exhausting. The, um, I want to ask this, the, um, and, and this is actually more for, you know, I guess I want to ask as, as specifically as, as you feel comfortable going into detail mm-hmm. about like what, um, what your bottom looked like, what, like what communicated to you that you were an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. the reason that I ask this question is because, and this is so shitty, but I'll cop to it, is that whenever I'm talking to friends who have struggled with addiction, um, the, I'm, I'm always either, I either judge them negatively, like, oh, you weren't as fucked up as I was, mm-hmm. or the, or man, that's really cool that you were so, that you were injecting Coke, you know, the, right. You know, like right. The, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, I've, I feel like I've, I feel like we hung out once after you'd maybe had a couple of beers, but yeah, like, but like I couldn't tell, but yeah. I've, ne- I've never seen you drinking. I've never seen you drunk the i've you and i've only ever had interactions where we're having long high speed conversations like this of like no i think you're totally right bro you know and the so i've never seen you on a tear on a bender like what what did Um, that look like for you i I don't know because i also (laughs) had to be the perfect drunk i mean I, i i swear i had to i had to not say anything too offensive I did not talk for too long. I had to not stare for too long. I had to not, you know, everything was just don't, 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 don't. And then, all right, well, what fucking fun am I having? So then I realized that I've been drinking a very long time, not having any fun with drinking, you know? Oh and my then, God. <laughs> like the, wow. The, People drink to unwind and effectively what you were doing was just doubling your workload. Because absolutely. You still, had to be in control the entire time yep and by drinking you were just making it that much harder yes exactly oh jesus Keith. but the, sorry the, that's okay man <laughs> it was it was uh yeah it's so that was kind of down there near the bottom um and i think that when i realized that um and then i asked for help and i couldn't get it that was proof that i needed it more wow um because only the people that the only people I could ask for help were the ones that loved seeing me drunk, you know? So of course they're not going to, they're not going to help. And then I was like, okay, well I can do it by myself. It's fine. Like I've done this before, no big deal. And when I, when I realized I couldn't, I was like, this is really bad, like really bad. And then, yeah, I mean, I just cracked and I was just like, I, I fucking surrender, you know? So that's what I, then I just had to start having the conversations. It's really all it was, was just like truth after truth after truth. And I just had to find them in the conversations to finally get to like what it was about codependency or what it was about, you know, the, just power. I mean, so much of, of my, of my unhealthy relationships were only about power. Um, and I was like, man, this is, um, it's going to suck to have to have these relationships with all of my friends because I, this is heartbreaking. Um, but the good thing was I only had to have it with one of them and then everyone else just disappeared from my life. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of cool. <laughs> the, yeah. Sometimes people just like, you know, just take their cue. Um, the, uh, one of the things that, one of the things I always struggled with, um, with AA and, and you know, with the 12 step program with was the, you know, the, 
act was the first part of it. The, Mm -hmm. you know, admitting that you're powerless and the, my perception of it was always, you know, the, you know, um, that it had some like uh, strange beauty to it. You know, it all, it, it always happened either in, you know, the, the dawn hours or, you know, mm-hmm. magic hour in the evening, you know, the, the violins come up and there's mm-hmm. you know, a person laying, you know, spread eagled on their front lawn or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, that like weeping and it, it's beautiful, you know? Yeah. The, and uh, man, yeah, it doesn't look like that at all, dude. It's like fucking ugly. Like the, you know, on a, um, but, and, and also I can't even, I can't even describe it because I feel like all the, the surrender, all the powerlessness that I've had in my life has been like the value menu version of powerlessness mm-hmm. where I'm like, well, I can't afford complete surrender. Exactly. So maybe I'll just get the baked potato and the right. chili. Yes. You know, the, <laughs> I, I totally get that. The, um, so I don't know. I'm, um, I'm envious of you that you can work, use the word surrender earnestly. And also I fear for you in the past mm-hmm. that for what you, the angle, you know, mental anguish yeah. that you went through in that moment to be able to say surrender and to ask for help and not get it. It's yeah. so hard to ask for help, man. And then, yeah, it was rough. I, um, I think my logic when I was drinking was, I was like, I'm going to wait until I can't quit and then I'll stop. <laughs> yes, exactly right. That's the attitude. That's the North star that you're following to your sobriety. And, and oh, you're like, oh, well, I'm, it's the carrot at the end of the stick and it's on my fucking you know, head. Like I, I'm putting it out there because I know it's an unachievable goal and I don't have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, and, and the rebuilding, I mean, it wasn't even like, I say that I got sober and started rebuilding. Like, no, 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 I, I got sober. And then I had to destroy everything. And then I had to mourn, you know, and then I had to plan. And now I'm starting to rebuild. But this has been like a three-year process that, you know, it's taken me through uh, a marriage, a 20-year-old band, and a relationship with my parents, you know. I mean, that's all. that all is gone within the same chunk of time. Um, and it is wild to me (laughs) i i don't know what i would do without sobriety and a supportive loving partner i mean it's so essential so essential to sobriety is having support and someone next to you that really wants you to do well i just wasn't used to that it's crazy this you know the the thing about tearing down your old life like man i i i feel like that you know because there have been so many times where uh, you know i've been like uh well i'm out of control i gotta dial this back or whatever and you know the i gotta fix this and then you mm-hmm. you go and like you know pull down the the wet piece of sheetrock and you're like this fucking house is made of termites the right. termites are the only thing that's keeping this thing upright you know yeah and yeah the and we just need i don't need to hire a crew i need to buy a bunch of gasoline yes and yes. just burn it uh, all yeah and just fucking burn it down and mm-hmm. like um and not come back until the you know until the embers have died down yeah you know, i the, i don't know who put this impression into our heads as as a it's just humankind but the idea that you shouldn't burn bridges no you you have to i mean 
Because the worst thing about a bridge is that when you're walking away from it, now it's just a, an attack that you can't see, you know, because that's all it is. That when, if you have turned away from someone, but you haven't cut them off, they still have access to you and they will take it. Like, yeah. just because you're like, hey, I'm not monitoring this bridge anymore. Please don't use it. They're you fucking using it because you're not looking at them, you know, pickpocketing you. I mean, it's just everyone has to get, you know, everything must go. And the problem is, is that everyone is already, um, <clears throat> I mean, the defeatist attitude is built in and that's kind of the glaring problem. But I think underneath that, it's the fact that the defeatist attitudes are not just attitudes and they're not coming out of nowhere. It's because we are defeated, like we're truly defeated. So I'm defeated. I knew that I knew this house was falling apart. I just didn't look at it close enough. I refused to admit that I needed to start working a long fucking time ago, you know, but it's too yeah. late now because this house is shit and the structure's destroyed. So burn it. You know, I mean, I, I think people are like, oh, I feel too bad. And, you know, but it's it, if you feel guilty about leaving someone, then they don't really want to see you succeed because you know right. they, they they should let you go do what you need to do to live and thrive and if that doesn't include them then that's on them to make it include them or get the fuck out of the way you know i i had to I, say i had to have these conversations with people yeah no the i mean what you said just there about like you know what if guilt is what's keeping you in a relationship you mm -hmm. know the i'm I'll never get married for many reasons, but mm -hmm. one of the reasons is the, because if somebody wants to leave me and the only thing that is holding them to me is an agreement that we made with the fucking government, right. our relationship is dead. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and you and both you have to, to admit it. Yeah. Yes. You fucking throw the ring in my face and walk away. You yes. know, the, like if, if you don't love me, then go, you know, and I, and I want people to, I would want people to have that freedom to sort of like wake up each morning and say, yeah, I, I choose to be here. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I choose this. And yeah. the, um, the, I'm sure that there are fucking jackasses on the internet who are like, um, Oh, Keith is weak. The, but people don't realize how fucking strong yeah. you actually need to be to end a relationship. That's, that's not working or a relationship that's run its course. Yeah. You know, sometimes the, sometimes friendships end with no, the, with no spite that mm -hmm. you were like, Oh, we see totally eye to eye, except with a couple of little degrees here and there, mm -hmm. those couple of little degrees here and there is one mm -hmm. of the reasons we're able to stay friends. Is exactly. Because if it wasn't for that, we'd have nothing to fucking argue about exactly. on car trips and shit. You know, Dude, the, I know that's the, the personality that I love about that. I'm finding out about my friends and, and the things like this, where instead of just trying to be the perfect friend, I'm just trying to be a really good, you like Keith, and then I think you'll really like that person, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I just need to work on my presentation of myself because I, I had no value anymore. Like nobody around me valued me. I did not value myself. I felt nothing but shame. I mean, you know, there was a, a, at a certain point in my life, I, the my only hope for my life was to die before my child found out my secrets. You know what I mean? Like that shit. Oh, dude. It, it's like, I, I just can't, I have too much in, in me that 
I need to tell people and nobody's listening to me and nobody's helping me. And it's like, this is all bad. This is all bad. It all has to go. And I, I took my daughter with me. Not, I didn't kidnap her, but I was like, I'm not giving up on this. This, I am not giving up on my daughter. I am abs. I will do whatever it takes to keep my daughter, um, you know, to find out who I am so I can be the better father and not have moved too far away from her while I was figuring it out. You know, and what that means then is that she's bearing witness to some really uncomfortable growing pains for me, you know, but man, you, dude, she is the strongest, the strongest. I mean, she was two months premature. I mean, that you know, she barely had a chance at the beginning, but just the shit that she adapts to and the way that she moves, it's been such an inspiration to me, you know, it's just amazing to have her. She's been the guide, you know, this whole time. That's, that's wild to think about. You know that um, I mean, for you know for a premature child, the you know each day they continue to live is mm-hmm. a, a huge assertion of "fuck you, I'm here." Yes, I'm you here. Know, yep. The yep. And the I I used to train boxing with with a friend before I left New York, and mm-hmm. the it it did so much for me mentally, but I I found that. Um, what made me feel better was not like dominating our sparring matches, but, um, uh, getting my ass beat uh-huh. and the, and I think part of that is, you know, masochistic and sort of like being, mm-hmm. being into suffering. Yeah. Um, but also the, that galvanizing experience of getting clocked, like getting caught with your guard down getting clocked in the face and then being like, Oh, holy shit. I'm still here. Like that, yeah. That always made me feel stronger than um, than running a new distance or you know fucking lifting mm-hmm. more at the gym or something. Well, I mean, running new distance, there is something there where you're, um, you know, when you're trying to go sort of longer than you have mm-hmm. before, you're fighting attrition and yeah, you know, the um, you know, sort of forces that want to everything wants you to stop running, um, right? You know, and, and you're just sort of asserting your will over that. Mm-hmm. The um, I remember the, I mean, the worst thing about all this shit that you've had to go through is, is, um, the curse of having a public life, Yeah, you know, reading some, you know, reading these tweets and talking to a couple other people who are, you know, uh, fans of the band and the, and just like worrying about you. And I didn't, um, I didn't know what to say or how to reach you. You and I had been out of touch for a while. I didn't mm-hmm. know if it was appropriate, if I was overstepping, but the, but the thing that I kept coming back to um, was just trust yourself. Yes. Because whether, um, and I think I, I peppered you with that like four different times because mm-hmm. whether you've been able to see yourself, you know, these last few years, I have, yeah, like I, I see you and I, I see um, the man you are, the person you are, the friend you are, Thank the you. way you care about people um, around you, the decisions that you make, the, um, you know, that I've, if I have, if I had anything critical to say about you, it would be like, if Keith, relax for a minute. <laughs> the, I remember you. like going to see, yeah. going to see you play in Tempe and like the, and then after the show, I was like, oh, you know, awesome. We're going to chill. And you mm-hmm. were loading gear. And I was like, bro, you're the fucking singer. Like, yeah. no, let them yeah. like, and you were loading more shit than anybody else. And I was like, I was like, mm-hmm. this, 
you know, this guy needs to like read a, I, read a rock bio or something like you need to be a dick. <laughs> I couldn't. I, well, I, I had to be the perfect helper. I mean, it's yeah. just like everything about it was. And, you know, plus I liked helping. Like I said, it's just something yeah. I do. So but then, you know, that gets taken advantage of the older you get. I just I never knew how to relax. I just felt buried by time. Like I when I envisioned time as a concept, it was just heavy. You know, it was just. And I'm under it and there's just so much go, you know, it's, there's just too, so much. And I just really had to figure out like, well, okay, what's true to me? You know, like I know in my heart that I am a good person. Like genuinely, I have made some terrible decisions that have made me do terrible things. And I accept full responsibility. It didn't make me do anything. I did terrible things in those terrible situations. And I, you know, suffered from that guilt every minute of every day the the it was compounded the longer i i went on you know of just like i don't know i just felt like everything was just hovering around me just waiting to smother me and uh uh then i got rid of all the people that um were trying to smother me with alcohol and i you know found some air and i i saw yeah. light again you know and like i said then i you know i it was crazy because I, I specifically remember like just having to like really rack my brain to think of the last time I was truly happy. Like I, you know, I had to isolate that moment. Um, and it's crazy because when I did, um, I isolated it to a moment that was spent with a friend of mine when we were very young and her name was Angela and now we're married. So that was a huge, <laughs> that was a huge thing that just kind of happened. And like I said, the that was universe... a very big story you told in it. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Hemingway six, six words. Uh, so they, uh, you know, it, I, like I said before, I feel like the universe is really like, it, it kind of favors, uh, you know, fortune favors the brave. It, 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 yeah. it feels like that now it's uh, the more chances I'm taking in pursuit of my own truth, which I know is towards the greater good. Cause I am a good person. And if, you know, I was, if I have impulse control, so I don't fear like being around bars or anything, I'm, I'm okay with that. But if I just follow my truth and keep going, like it's kind of actually the easiest way to travel. You know, I used to be afraid of my truth, but like you said, you know, I just got to keep, keep my eye on that. And that's a perfect guide. Um, this sounds unforgivably new agey, but for me, I found uh, like so much of it is about um, sharing and forgiving. You know, mm -hmm. the um, I'm I'm fortunate to have you know some really fantastic friends and some great and fucked up and weird uh, dude friends who are uh -huh. um, comfortable talking about you know everything and anything. You know mm -hmm. the and you know, there's, there's so much stuff from, uh, from being a young man from well, from being a drunk, from being a young man, from being a, a teenager, from being a kid, you know, the, of like shit that you file away in your head where you're like, you know, Oh, the, um, I, you know, I looked up this girl's skirt in second grade. That's mm -hmm. proof that I'm, um, I'm a predator. I'm a narcissist. Right. I'm a horrible mm -hmm. person, you know, and then, 
you know, you share that story with a friend of yours and he's like, oh man, I was, I was sticking my dick through the, the yeah. fence to the dog crate, trying to get the dog to lick it, man. Don't worry about it. You know, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. And it's just to have the courage and, and to have somebody you trust to, to be able to share those things and be like, I feel, I feel bad about this. And then the, and I hope everybody is lucky enough to have a fucked up friend who's who's like, bro, that's nothing. Listen to this. Yeah, that, yeah everybody needs that. Everybody needs that friend because it's and that's the advantage of what, you know, you and I have kind of, you know, we've been through hell of each our own personal. But, you know, we've kind of always kept our our eye to, you know, to the sky of like there, I, I'm too. I understand too much to not believe there could be something more, you know, it's always just like, okay, I, I get suffering, but it has to be ultimately for a point, you know? So um, I, I feel like those people um, that have those stories definitely provide a levity to everything and the connections. Yeah. It, all you have to do is talk and you feel lighter, you know, but talk truthfully, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems for me that I realized was that if I told my truth, people would hate me. Like, and then I was like, well, what people? And then I made a list of people. And I was like, why do I care so much that these people hate me? And then I had to figure it out. And, you know, it's, you know, when you're talking about different truths and different uh, groups of people, you know, if your own partner or the person that you have the most intimate connection with the most intimate relationship if that's the person you can't tell your truth to that's a sign something needs to change you know because are you afraid they're going to get mad at you or leave you or well okay then those things need to happen that's the less the lesson is not going to get learned if that person is sort of you know you kind of keep your guilt behind their wall you know it just kind of I just, once you're open about who you are, then yeah, take your, take your licks, you know, and, and just get up again and then fall down and get up again and just keep doing it. And, uh, it's easier without alcohol. I'll tell you that. One, one of the, um, one of the things I always do with my, you know, with my writing students is to break down the word, uh, discretion, which is, you know, dis excretion, but basically non shit. Hmm. So the, oh, interesting. The wow. Discretion is the art of being able to tell food from shit. And the wow. And so I carry that one step further and I ask my students to um create their um their family, you know, their literary family, their mm -hmm. uh, their literary forebears, the and also like the Thomas Pynchon writer that who people love and people celebrate never done anything for me has no the, yeah. his work doesn't speak to my work me neither you me know neither. the um you know so i have them choose an author they hate mm -hmm. you know or, or who just exists in a universe where it's um that universe doesn't speak to this one you know yeah. the so you i mean i it's so emotionally intelligent what you did of being able to sort out like the people you give a shit about and the people you don't mm -hmm. and you know and then to try to um to recalibrate there and it was never um you know it was never an aggressive sort of like you don't fucking care about me i, I can't be friends with you it was a serious like hey I, I need to ask you something how do you feel about me knowing this how do you feel about me knowing this you know and 
And if my friends were willing to have honest conversations, then that meant that it was worth working on a, you know, a reconnection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, look at it, it's not everyone is for you. Not everything is for you, you know, yep. know what is for you. It's not the ones that are for someone else. So, but obviously, you know, you really have to fine tune your antenna, which means really actually understanding what drives you personally, you know, it's just so individual and, and, and unique. And I, I think that when people realize how singular each other person's life experiences, then you'll realize how much we have in common. You know, people are like, yeah. oh, you can't, everything's too singular. That means no one's going to do anything together. And no, it's not true. There's a humanity at our core that we want to communicate with other people. We just have no fucking idea how, you know? It's yeah. not that I hated other people. It's that I hated that I didn't know how to talk to people. And I hated people that knew, you know? Yeah, yeah. And 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 also, <laughs> I mean, I think you hated the um, the weight that you gave their opinions. You yes. hated, hated the anxiety that you brought on yourself, you know? The, Absolutely. Absolutely. But what conclusions could anyone have come to about anyone but you know you or i i mean any it's kind of nice in being a musician in that that is on stage if you're doing it right it's truly who you are and i mean side note like that was a big part of uh during the pandemic when i was like one of the biggest like across the board i am happiest on stage well why is that oh because that's where the pressure is off and i was like how's the pressure off on stage? But that's where I'm myself. And when I'm myself and I recognize that these people are here because they actually like Keith, but not only, but they actually right. approve of me as a human because it's through the writing and my voice, then that means, Oh my gosh, this is family. This is a community, you know? So it's not, I, you know, you spend a few years trying to, trying to separate the, the people that like you and the people that don't, and then you play to the people that like you. So why should that be any different than the way you approach life? Like, I'm not going to go somewhere where I know nobody's going to listen to my music. I'm not going to try to play a show there. I'm going to go where people like my band. I mean, that's just good business, you know? So you should try to maybe, you know, not you, but in general, just try to think about like, well, if I know that that person, we don't get along, they don't see me. I don't see them like see spiritually, you know, um, or emotionally or intellectually, then why am I, that's not for me. Then I can find what is for me. You know, the, I feel like it's a Charlie pride quote where he says, uh, don't play to the empty seats. Oh yeah. And the, you know, and, and that's, I mean, what you're describing here, I mean, I think is, I mean, what we've talked about sort of a lot through, you know, through this conversation is um, uh, the inability to communicate or the inability to, to stop listening, you know, when, when the communication isn't useful, you know, to, to tune out the noise, the, um, and that's one of the things seeing you guys play, seeing you perform um, is seeing you in communication with people you love, who love you, mm -hmm. you know, the, and um, great band. You're a great performer. I, I love watching you sing. I love watching you get into it. Thank and, and none of that will be as meaningful as watching a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kid 
watching their hero. Oh yeah. To see, um, to see what it's like for them to see, to, to see what they're feeling, to see their fucking eyes shining and them smiling so hard that I'm going to, I'm like, your face is going to hurt. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. The, and the, and you'll have a voice the next day, but they won't because right. they've been screaming harder than you have through the whole thing. Totally. You know? And the, I don't know. It's, you know, it's um, I'm, I'm really, I'm happy for you. I'm excited Thank for you. you. I'm proud of you for, for moving on from the band. And also you guys did it so long and so hard and, and um, so long, so hard and so well mm-hmm. that it, um, there's a vibe to it of like the, the dead or Iron mm-hmm. Maiden or, you know, um, the, or Funkadelic or something like mm-hmm. that of, you know, where there's, a, a culture there, you know, not yeah. necessarily uh, kids in every time I die onesies yet. Right. But, yeah. you know, the, but you get the sense that like, you know, somebody is bringing their younger brother or their younger sister, you know, to the, the, the first, mm. you know, all ages show or the first show that they're, you know, able to get into or whatever the, um, but um, that leads me to my next question, which is the what's next what's what's next for you i i i know Everything. you and i know you're, <laughs> i know you're fucking making music till the day you die yeah uh, it, you're also you're a hell of a writer mm-hmm, and thank you i don't know keith i i can't think of anything that you couldn't do the i can't draw i can't oh, me neither draw. me neither i suck god i suck so, so bad. i'm gonna i'm gonna try to learn how to paint i think i think that's next for me <laughs> The, um, you know, Lanigan, the last, whatever, 18 months, um, he started doing, uh, charcoal drawings really. And yeah. And they're phenomenal. I, um, I wish there was a way to get one or to use one oh, album man. Cover or something like yeah. that. The, um, we'll see. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with his widow. So the, yeah, good. I'm really sorry about right. that. I mean, that, that hit the community, that hit the music community really hard. And then you were the, as soon as I heard the news, you were the first person I thought of and, I, for some reason, didn't reach out. I just, I, I, you know, I feel so bad for, for the people that knew him, you know, not only through his music, but for you guys that actually knew him personally. The, thank you. The, it fucking sucked. It, you know, yeah. definitely, definitely hurt the, mm-hmm. but, but now, um, I, man, it was a dark time, like not being able to listen to your favorite artist for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a month, two months, because you're, you know, you just, you can't deal with that, but I can listen to his music again. Did now. you, did you see his music as life affirming or the opposite? Uh, oh, absolutely. The, um, you know, Mark, when we were doing the book, you know, we were talking, you know, he told this story about like waking up in rehab and the, um, you know, his arms were all bandaged, you know, cause he had huge abscesses from, you know, shooting heroin and his hair had been, you know, cut cause he had mm-hmm. dreads down to his ass yeah. and it was filthy. And, and he, you know, he had this, he had this moment, he had this epiphany, a moment of surrender, you know, where he sort of like, you know, sent a, a probe up to the heavens and somebody mm-hmm. responded, you know, and he was like, you know, I fell to my knees and, and, you know, I was instantly changed. And I was like, mm-hmm. Mark, that's, that's fucking incredible, man. That's such yeah. a great story, you know? And I was like, so, so that's it. So, the, you know, that was it for you. Like, you know, and he was like, oh no, no, no. You know, the, then there was, you know, methamphetamine and crack and oh, I mean, still tons of heroin after that, you know, the, and, and I was like, dude. And he was like, you know, but that, that was the moment 
that I, I decided to try, you know, I I get that. I do get that. The, you know, I had a long conversation with some of the people on the Lanigan subreddit about, cause they're still fixated on the cause of death. And I was like, man, it, it hasn't come out. I'm not going to ask about it. The, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to come out. And also who fucking cares? Right. The, the point is that motherfucker lived bigger yeah. and harder and, and lovelier, yeah. and more engaged than a hundred other people, you know, a thousand other people, the, mm-hmm. and the, and how lucky are we to have been alive while that madman was still creating the, um, you know, ultimately what killed him was life. Yes. Yeah. He, he ate too much of it too quickly, you know? Yeah. That's a great <laughs> and, way to put um, it. Yeah. The, you know, it's, so, I mean, it, maybe it feels a little glib, but it, it matters me- less to me how he died than to mm-hmm. know that he, he absolutely lived. That motherfucker right. was totally alive. That's up great. Until, you know, up until the very last moment, you know? The- yeah. I mean, to get, a, you know, to, to get that many years out of a, a life that difficult is no small miracle. I mean, it, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, people kind of, look at it uh in in different ways depending on how they sort of you know view themselves and and their role in in the bigger picture of all all these things and you know when when you said that he kind of had his moment where he fell to his knees and that's it you know it it, to me it, it acknowledges the light at the end of the tunnel and it then you get to make a choice and that's what being alive is is making that choice and and doing it truthfully and being like look at I could do this, but that's not me. You know, that's just not me. And people struggle with that. So to know who you are and just fucking go. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Mark had that thing that I think that you and I are sort of still working on is that he knew absolutely who he was, what what he stood for, what he stood against. Mm -hmm. You know, he was still interrogating himself about it um you know you know till the very end because that that's an interesting question but that doesn't mean that he didn't know um you know who he was and what sure. he was about and what he was against oh yeah i mean uh, that's divine wisdom i mean to know who you are is divine wisdom you know and and the the fact that like you know he was he you know people can know who they are at their core like him and still guess at how to adapt to the changing phenomena of the universe you know what i mean that's truly growing and that that is being alive is not just you know finding your fixed point and just setting up shop it's no it's putting roots in but growing around it you know and figuring out like how to deal and yeah i i mean i didn't know him personally but it sounds like he fucking figured out how to deal you know yeah yeah the um dude we could talk all day but Mm -hmm. i know you have shit to do the um Give, give us a give me a sneak <laughs> you peek. want something give me, okay. give, well, you want something give, i'll give you something give me give me a hint of what okay. of what's coming the okay. of of what we are you um are you writing a thing yes. are you making a movie are you uh doing a solo thing are you yes. starting a band are you the um i am give, give um, me a whiff of it okay here's a yeah here's a little fragrance for you so i I figured out, okay, actually this, uh, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do next. And it's in your hands right now. 
So I think I figured out a way that I can tie Scale and Watch, my first two books, into the same universe, which means that I can then put them in each other's stories retroactively using the third one. So it sounds, so what I'm going to do now is I'm, I wasn't planning on this ever being a trilogy, but I'm going to flesh out the third part that I've already started um, and see if it can make it a complete work. If not, then I'm, I'm starting to write a new book. Um, I've signed two more uh, with Rare Bird. So um, uh, yeah, I'm working on that and uh, hopefully talking to you about writing some stuff and yeah, I, um, I I will be nagging you to write a, a memoir till the day okay. that we die, my friend. The, well, yeah, I, I you have so many stories to tell. The, let's go. Let's get started. Let's not wait till the day I die to write a memoir. <laughs> awesome. The uh, Keith, I love you so much. Dude. I love it's, you so it's much. So good to see your your face and this hear has your been voice. So great. And the um and I just the it's so good to know that like you made it through the fire and you that too, man. You know you're here you're back you're you're back and fucking bigger than ever you know? i feel i feel better i feel better than i ever have and i uh you know this our friendship is is very important to me i mean it survived a lot you know the fact that you and i have been through so much individually and still keep reconnecting you know that's important that's a sign that you know i i, I feel like we have a a real good friendship here to work on now that I, now that i'm sober the uh we got Let's let's just keep doing it, buddy. All right. Let's do it. All right. Take care, brother. Good to see you. I love you. You too, man. Take care. Peace. Catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Well, hello there. Uh, This is uh, Steve Jobs, the uh, guy who invented the Apple as uh, as you may know, I do a, a podcast thing where I um, just r- randomly record things about fi- my favorite podcasts and the Mishka Shabali podcast, absolutely one of them. Everybody over here at Apple, um, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, all the other billionaires working side by side in the factory here. We all love the Mishka Shabali podcast and we know that you love it too. So what we would love for you to do is head on over to the, uh, what, what is it called? Any. That I think it's just the podcasts thing. I don't know. Go over to Apple Podcasts and please uh, rate and review my podcast. I mean, the Mishka Shabali podcast. Give it five stars. It's it's incredible. Groundbreaking work. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, in the running for a Peabody. Um, Peabody? A MacArthur? I don't know. It's, it, it should win a prize. That's how good it is. Now, just five stars. Thank you. Steve Jobs signing off. <laughs>